of disobedience and what that means for each and every one of us. Look at verse 7. We'll start right there. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So he says in verse number 8, these, really these verses 7 through 11 is all about the provocation of God by the nation of Israel, by the Hebrew people. So what does he mean by that? What is these verses really talking about? Well, if you take the word provocation and you, you get it down to the root word, it's the root word provoke. And, and, and so really what this is talking about is how the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, provoked God to anger. Now, how many times have you heard me say that the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God? And, and that's always true, man. If you want to see uh, what God's Word is saying in one place, then you've got to study in other places and see how that is brought into context. Can you say amen? Because all of it fits together. And, and so that's certainly true for what's being said here in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in the 7th verse, when it's talking about the nation of Israel provoking the God of heaven. So let's go back to Hebrew, or excuse me, Psalm 78. I want, to, I want us to look over there tonight because that is some great commentary on Hebrews chapter number 3. Psalm 78. And let's look down tonight at verse number 40. Psalm 78, verse number 40. Before we go any further, let's just pray and ask God to bless the reading of His Word, bless the truth that He wants to give us tonight. Father, we love You. Thank You, Lord, for all Your goodness. Thank You, Lord, for doing for me what I could never do for myself. Lord, I'm thankful for grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness that comes freely through the cross. I'm thankful for each and every one of these people here tonight. I'm thankful for the families that are represented. I'm thankful that You've given us the great privilege of being a part of what You do. And I'm asking you now in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would have your way and your will in this service. You would speak to hearts and change lives in every class with every teacher, Lord. Would you speak to them and speak through them. And Lord, ready the hearts of the students to listen and hear what you have for them. God, we're praying that you would continually work in this church, work on this church, and work through this church to be the shining city upon a hill that you call us to be in our community. But we're asking that you would work on us, work in us, and work through us to accomplish your good will and purpose. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Psalm 78. Look down at verse number 40. Look at the question the psalmist asks here. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness? So there it is again. There's that word. He's talking about the provocation of God from the nation of Israel. He says, How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yet they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So what the Bible is telling us here. The provocation from the people of God, the, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, brought limitation to God Himself while they were in the wilderness. So what does all this mean? Where does all this come from? Well, you students of, uh, of, of, the, of the Bible, you understand that back in the book of Exodus, the Bible says that the nation of Israel was in bondage in a place called Egypt. Everybody remember that? And when the nation of Israel, the children of God, the, the Jewish people were in bondage there, they began to cry out unto the Lord. They prayed and asked God for deliverance. Now I want you to I want to tell you something that we all have to get a hold of, need to get a hold of 
this evening. How do we believe that God has His ear tuned to the needs of His people? He did in that time. And praise God, He still does tonight. They prayed and God heard them. I want you to know, when you pray, God promises to hear you. He has His ear tuned to your needs just like He had His ear tuned to their needs all the way back in the book of Exodus. He pr they prayed and God heard them. Folks, if there's one thing I want as your pastor, if there's one thing I, I, I want to see right here at Mount Zion, is that we become a praying people. We become a praying church. That we continue to be a praying church. Let me tell you why I say that. I say that because I know a praying church is a powerful church. A praying church is a church that God can use to impact the lost and dying world for His kingdom. A praying church is a spirit-led church. So we must be a praying church. Through the praying of God's people comes God's power. Amen? It's amazing. I, I love Charles Spurgeon. And, and I, I cannot help but remember what he said concerning his church in London, England, when God was working in such a powerful way there. He was the pastor there for many years and God had used him in a fantastic way. And people were getting saved by the thousands. The church was growing and doing great things there in the city. And a local newspaper got uh, interested in what was going on at the church. So he came down and interviewed Charles Spurgeon. And he sat in his office and he said, Dr. Spurgeon, I want to know, how is all this happening? How did this take place? God is doing such a great work here in the church. He said, do you really want to know? What's happening? Do you really want to know where all this comes from? And the, and, and the newspaper reporter said, yes, I do. And so he, he led him down to the basement. They walked down uh, the stairs of the basement of the church. And right beside the boiler room, there was a door that he opened up. And when he opened up that door, there were hundreds of people there on a weekday on their face before the Lord praying and calling out for God to do what only God could do in their church and in their city. And Charles Spurgeon said, that's the secret of the success of this church. It's when God's people get concerned enough to start praying. When God's people start expecting enough for God to do what only God can do. If you believe it, say amen to that. A praying church is a powerful church and you must remember that God still has His ear tuned to the needs and the cries of His children. God heard their cry when they cried out in Egypt. And in Exodus, the Bible tells us that God answered their prayer by sending them a deliverer. A deliverer by the name of Moses. Y'all remember Moses? We talked about him last time we were together on Wednesday night. But Moses was used by God to bring the nation of Israel from the place of bondage to the place of blessing. Moses was a foreshadowing of a type of Christ all the way back in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, when you're looking, you'll see Jesus in every book. You'll see Jesus in all books, all 66 of them, from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the types of Jesus we see in the book of Exodus is none other than the man Moses. The one who delivered the nation of Israel, the people of God, out of their bondage and into the place of blessing. Now, on their way from the place of bondage, on their way from Egypt to Canaan land, the land flowing with milk and honey, in between was what was called the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that many trials, temptations, and tribulations came upon the people. It was in the wilderness 
that these trials became faith food to teach the nation of Israel that they could truly trust the God who loves them. Let me tell you something, child of God. You may be going through some stuff right now. You may be going through some things and you don't know why it's happening or what's happening or, or, or what went wrong. You may not realize what's going on in the midst of the trial that you're facing or why it's happening to you. Anybody ever been there? I have. Man, when you, when you go through trials and tribulations and finances or you go through trials and tribulations in relationships or you go through trials and tribulations at your workplace or you go through trials and tribulations at the church or you go through trials and tribulations you name it whatever it is in your life when you start going through some of that stuff and you wonder man what the world's going on with the one of two things can has happened as a child of god first of all let me tell you this everything that enters your life as a child of God, has to come across His desk first. Everything. Things we perceive to be good things. Things we perceive to be bad things. Now, the good news is, God is so sovereign, so powerful, so in control, God can take even the bad things and cause them to become good according to His purpose for your life. Do you know that? The Bible promises that. He promises that he, listen, uh, he, he can take, uh, uh, like I've said before, he can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. Can you say amen? He can take what you perceive to be bad, turn it around for his, for your good and for his glory. He does it all the time. But if God, if something is happening in your life as a child of God, it had to come across his desk first. So there can only be two reasons. First of all, many times we have trials and tribulations in our lives because of our own choices and decisions. See, what you do matters. There is a law of sowing and reaping. And what you sow, you will reap. Your decisions have consequences. And so a lot of times trials enter our life, tribulation enters our life because of bad decisions that we make. Sometimes, man, I just want to pull my hair out when I see some church signs. And I saw one the other day that implied that, uh, listen, bad things that happen is always God's fault. I can't remember just exactly how they worded it. But people say, well, I guess it was just God's will that I'm going. Well, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't God's will that you're going through what you're going through. Maybe you made some bad decisions. Maybe you made some bad choices. And because of your decisions and your choices, you're now having to deal with the consequences of your decisions and your choices. Sometimes God gets credit for things God doesn't do. Sometimes we go through trials, we go through tribulation, simply because we've made the wrong decision. Simply because we've gotten out of the will of God. Simply because we've got unconfessed sin in our life. Simply because we're dealing with habits and addictions. And things that are hindering us from being all that God wants us to be. Are you getting me? Or, sometimes, God will allow certain trials to enter our life just to show us who He is. To teach us how much we can trust Him. Trials are fantastic faith food. They really are. 
The nation of Israel went through a time of trial, testing, tribulation in the wilderness. Some of them passed the test and some of them didn't. Some of them were able to experience all the good things God had for them and some of them didn't. Some of them, listen, lived out their golden years in the place of blessing, in the abundant life, and some of them didn't. All because of certain choices that were made in the wilderness. Psalm 40, Psalm 78, verses 40 and 41. The provocation from the people of God led to limitation of God Himself. That's what it's teaching us. Now let me make this clear to you. Just because I say the provocation from the people of God led to limitation of God Himself. Let, let me tell you what I'm not saying. Let me, let me tell you what, uh, what, what uh, I want to make this clear to you. I, I am not questioning the sovereignty of God by saying that these people limited Him. And you shouldn't either. We'll talk about that in just a moment. See, I believe that God is Creator. If you believe that, say Amen. I believe the Bible has made it clear that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Not only do we have the biblical record, which is enough. Do you hear me? The biblical record is enough. You can trust your Bible. You should trust your Bible. But let me tell you what else we've got. We've got mountains of evidence that back up the biblical record. Of a God who fine-tuned our universe so that we could exist on planet Earth. So God is creator. Therefore, He is in control. The scripture says that the heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool. The scripture teaches He stood on nothing and created everything. The scripture teaches He spoke in the dark and light appeared. That's my Jesus. That's my God. That's the God of the Bible. He is in control. What we do matters. But God is so in control, He's so sovereign, He can even take our bad decisions and choices and still cause His will to come to pass. You see that all throughout Scripture. I've seen it in my life. It's amazing how God does things. He causes all things, again, to work together for our good and His glory. It's hard to see that sometimes, but hindsight is always 2020. When I look back on certain situations, certain seasons of my life, I can see, man, God's hands were all over that. We sing a song a lot of times on Sunday morning, talk about I see the evidence of the goodness of God all over my life. Man, I can. I look back over my life and I see how even in times where I turned my back on Him, even in times when I was out of His will, even in times where I certainly, I never, never deserved God's grace, but there have been times I, I didn't deserve it more than others. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about. I, I look back in those times and I still see God's hand doing what only God's hand could do. Absolutely blows me away. I am not questioning the sovereignty of God when I say that the provocation of the people limited Him. 
Neither am I questioning the sovereignty, or excuse me, uh, the, the ability of God when I say that the provocation of the people limited Him. Let, let me tell you what I believe about the ability of God. Ephesians 3.20, it's a great verse. It says, now unto him that is able. Everybody say is able. Amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. God is still able to do what we can't even dream of. God is still able to do exactly what he wants when he wants. I am not questioning God's sovereignty. I am not questioning God's ability when I say that the provocation led to limitation. So please do not misunderstand me. Nevertheless, what we see in Scripture tells us right here in Psalm 78, 40, and 41, God was limited. When the people provoked, He was limited. Do you see it? They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, if God is still able, if He still has the same ability that He's always had, what does that mean for me and you? Well, at least three or four things. Number one, I don't believe there's one person that God cannot save. You say, oh, Brother Israel, you may be here tonight. He said, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've claimed to believe. You don't know the decisions and choices I've made. Let me, let me tell you something. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've claimed to believe. You don't know where God brought me from. And if God can save me, I promise, me, promise you, He can save you. There's not a person God can't save. Listen, some of you right here tonight, you may be praying for lost loved ones. Man, they're making terrible decisions. They lack the peace that passes all understanding that you know to be also real. They lack the joy of the Lord. They don't have any purpose in their life. They're not experiencing the abundant life. They don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. And you've been praying for them. You've been seeking the Lord that He would touch their heart and save them. Let me tell you something. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep calling out to the Lord. Jesus said it like this. We need to ask and we'll what? Receive. We need to seek and we'll what? We need to knock and what? The door will be opened. He's talking about some persistence in prayer. He's talking about, man, when you don't get the answer that you're looking for, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. And if you're praying for a lost loved one, don't give up. There's not a person God can't save. I'm telling you. I was preaching a revival service one time, man. After the service uh, was finished, the lady come out the back. She stopped and she said, oh, Brother Israel, I know exactly what you're talking about. She said, let me show you something. She drug me into the back end of the church in there. And she had to, had to, had to let put, make me put my eyes on her husband. She said, right there he is. I said, man, that's great. She said, that's my husband. She said, I prayed for him for 20 years that he would come to know Jesus. And you know what? Jesus saved him. Now he's a deacon serving in this church. And the Lord's used him in a fantastic way. She says, you're right. Don't give up. There's not a person God can't save. Can you say amen? Believe that. God's word teaches that. 
Second Peter chapter number three and verse number nine said, "It's not God's will that any any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." There's not a person God can't save. Let me tell you something else. There's not a prayer God can't answer. You hear me? There's not a prayer God can't answer. D.O. Moody preached in a revival service. In Chicago, Illinois, was asked one time, the last night of the service, a lady comes up to him. She says, Mr. Moody, I want to ask you a question. She said, do you think God hears when we pray small prayers? Pretty good question. Listen, as, as, as my Heavenly Father, He is concerned about the things I perceive to be big things. And he's concerned about things I perceive to be small things. Are you here? And that's true for you too. You say, brother, how do you know that? Well, I know that because I'm a father too. I'm a father too. And I'm concerned about things that are big things in my kid's life. But I'm also concerned about the smallest of things. I was listening to... Uh, James Dobson on Family Talk just a few weeks ago. And he had a gentleman on there who had written a book about what it means to be, that, to be a father like God is a father to us. Man, it was so good. And he was talking about how he had two children, two boys. One of them was a star athlete. And he had actually gotten several Division I offers to go and play football as a linebacker. He said he was so proud of the son, you know, because he Grown up, become a fine young man, super athlete, worked really hard. And said, then he had another son. He said, the other son had Down syndrome and struggled a great deal. And he said, he remembers the day that his eldest son, the football star, come in and said, Dad, I've gotten this offer and I've gotten that offer. And all these people want me to come play football. And he said, I was so proud of that kid. He said, as a father, man, my... My heart was just overflowing with joy because he had done so well. He said, and then a few days later, my youngest son, the one who I think he said at that time was about 13, he said he came come in and finally learned how to tie his own shoe. He said he, he walked into my office and he was so excited. And he knelt down before my desk and he said, I told him, Dad, look what I can do. And he tied that shoe and he said, you know what? My heart was so full of joy, just overflowing with joy that my son had learned to tie his shoe. You know what? As a father, God is concerned about the things we perceive to be big things. And he's also very concerned about the things we perceive to sometimes be small things. Can you say amen? But she asked Dr. Booty, she said, she said, Booty, Does God hear us when we pray small prayers? This has always stuck with me. He said, to God, they're all small prayers. Isn't that true? I mean, if he can speak the world into existence, if he can split the Red Sea and cause his people to walk across on dry land, if he can stop the sun from setting in the evening sky to prolong the battle that his people were winning. 
if he can conquer death, hell, and the grave after the crucifixion, then they're all small prayers. There's not a prayer that God cannot answer. I'm reminded of the story in Mark chapter number 4 of how Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And he says to them, he says, guys, let's go over to the other side. And while they were rowing in the boat, a storm blew up on the Sea of Galilee. And when the storm blew up, Jesus was already in the, what the Bible says, the hinder part of the bottom of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And in verse 38, the disciples cry out for fear. And they say, do you not care that we're about to perish? Let me tell you what you, you've got in Mark 4, 38. You've got a prayer of sincerity. You want to pray sincerely? Be out in a boat in the middle of a storm thinking you're about to drown. There was a prayer of sincerity brought to the Lord. Lord, we need your help. Do you not care? We're about to sink. And the Bible says Jesus comes up to the top of the boat. He speaks to the storm, peace be still. The sea calms, the wind stops blowing, the lightning stops crashing, and he looks at him and says, how do you have so little faith? Now the Bible don't say this, but I just got to believe it. I think it he went back down and went back to sleep. Jesus can answer our prayers, big or small. There's not a prayer he can answer. There's not a person he can't save. Let me tell you something else. There's not a problem he can't fix. Anybody in here besides me got problems? Well, I'll tell you this. If you're an American, you've got a problem. You've got some big problems. You've got some leadership problems. You hear me? Let me tell you how I know you've got some leadership problems, how we got some leadership problems. Just last week, there was a celebration on the White House lawn to celebrate transsexual activist. Did you see it? Did you see how they replaced the placing of the American flag with the pride flag? Did you see that? Did you see how our president and his wife were praising these folks on the White House lawn? Did you see how a young man who was very confused who has some severe mental trouble, had actually gotten fake breasts and took his shirt off and showed everybody on the White House lawn. Did you see that? What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you we've got some problems in this country. Some severe problems in this country. And if there's ever been a time you need to pray that our nation repents, it's right now. We got some problems in the White House, but let me tell you something else. We got some problems in the church house. I read some statistics last week from George Barnum that said right now in the United States of America, when, when I'm talking about people who claim to know Jesus now, people who claim to be Christ followers. Now he said only about six out of 10 actually believe God's word to be inerrant. That means 
If that's right, 40% of professing Christians don't even believe God's word to be inerrant, his absolute truth. Well, let me ask you something. If that's true, then what are people preaching in churches? What are they teaching in Sunday school? What are they basing their life on? There's problems in the church house. How do you know there's problems in our house? There's problems in my house. All of us deal with stuff. All of us have problems, big or small. But I'm here to tell you, listen, there's not a problem God can't fix. He said, brother, how do you know it? Well, there were some Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel who had a problem. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They had a big problem. They was thrown into the fiery furnace. But the Bible says when they looked into the furnace, they saw a fourth like unto the Son of God walking with them. And they came through the furnace with their clothes not even smelling like smoke. There's not a problem God can't fix. You remember Lazarus? He had a problem, didn't he? A big one. Four days old. But Jesus spoke to him in the tomb, said, come forth. And the bones that had no life received life again. Aren't you thankful that Jesus still speaks to dry bones? Yes. Me too. To lifeless people. He's still doing it. There's not a problem God can't fix. All throughout Scripture, we see the evidence of the power of God at work in His people's lives. Fixing problem after problem after problem after problem. So I'm telling you, I believe God is sovereign. He's in control for He is creator. I believe God still has the same ability that He's always had. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. How many of you know He ain't changed? He's still superior. He's still in a class all by himself. There's no one beside him. There's no one above him. There's no one in his class. Jesus is able to save souls, answer prayers, fix problems. However, the Bible still says in Psalm 78, through the provocation of the people, it brought limitation to the very God of heaven. How is that possible? Anytime you allow someone to be a part of what you're doing, what they do or don't do matters greatly. Would you agree? How can God be limited by us? Well, I'll tell you Because He allows us to be a part of what He's doing. I'm a part of His body. And if you're a child of God, you're a part of His body. We are His hands, His feet. So, and we're supposed to be doing His work in this world. And so if He allows us to be a part of His work, and what a privilege it is that He does allow us to do that. If He allows us to be a part of His work, then listen to me folks, we can limit Him to some degree. And that's what happened here. How did they limit God? Well, the Bible tells us. Go back to Psalm 78. Let's look at three or four things. Psalm 78, verse number, number 8. It says, And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation. He's talking about the people that failed the test all the way back in the wilderness. 
He's talking about the people who are not able to enter into the blessing of God. The rest of God. The abundant life that He had offered. And He says they weren't able to enter in simply because they were stubborn and rebellious. Folks, I want to tell you something. Some of the most stubborn, hateful people I've ever been around in my life sat on a church pew every Sunday. It's amazing. Brother Ken Ham said something one time I'll never forget. He said the famous last words of a dying church is we've never done it like that before. People are so stubborn and set in their ways. Sometimes it's very, very difficult for them to put down their own selfish desire and allow God to be God. Allow God to lead God and direct. And he said, look, these people had a stubborn and rebellious spirit, but that ain't all. Look what else. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Can somebody give me a good word for steadfast? What does it mean if I'm steadfast? Dependable, faithful. You count on them. Right? And, and the Bible's saying right here they provoked God because they weren't faithful. Hey, let me tell you what amazes me. And, and all of us, all of us, myself included, have been guilty of this very thing. We'll sing, Oh, how we love Jesus. On Sunday morning. But our life don't match our singing. On Monday morning. We'll talk about how much. We want to give all to the Lord. And when the offering plate is passed. We don't give anything. We'll talk about how. Listen. We want God to bless us and use us. And, and how have us to work in His kingdom. Making an impact to a lost and dying world. But we still can't find time to serve Him in any area we're asked to serve. Why? Because we're not steadfast. Because we're not faithful. And the Bible's saying right here that when you are not steadfast, when you are not faithful, we provoke God and limit what He can do and wants to do in our life. Are you getting it? Which one else? Look at this. Look down at verse number 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Now, what does that mean? You said, Rosa, what, what's wrong with them asking for meat? I'll tell you what's wrong with them asking for meat because they weren't thankful for the bread they had already received. See, while they were out in the wilderness, God took care of everything. The Bible says God even caused their shoes to last for 40 years. They walked and their shoes didn't wear out. When they got thirsty, God led Moses to a rock. He struck the rock with his staff. What happened? Water poured from the rock. There was another time they got thirsty. They came to a spring which was bitter. What did they do? They cut down a tree, threw it in the spring, and made the bitter water sweet. 
God was supplying their every need. When they needed water to drink, he gave them water. When they needed food to eat out in the middle of the, of the desert, guess what he did? He rained down manna from heaven. But if you go back and read in the book of Exodus, you'll find they said our, our souls are, were loathing this white bread. What did that mean? They hated and were not thankful, grateful for the food they were receiving. And they began complaining to Moses and complaining to God, we should have stayed back in Egypt because if we'd have stayed in Egypt, there were flesh pots boiling is really what they said. There were plenty of meat on the, in the boiling pot that we could have ate. But now we're out here in the wilderness and we're having to eat right in the desert or having to eat all this bread that we hate. Let me tell you what is always the right attitude for a child of God. Gratitude is the right attitude for every blood-bought, born-again believer. Regardless if we're eating potted meat or ribeye steaks. Regardless of whether we're driving a Pinto or a Porsche. Regardless of whether we have a bank account with a lot of zeros or just zero. Folks, listen to me. First of all, God owes us nothing. And if I get what I deserve, I get condemnation, damnation, and a devil's hell. And you get the same thing. And it's only because of God's love and His amazing grace that we've been saved. And guess what? If He never does one more thing for me, that's enough. That's enough for me to have an attitude of gratitude throughout all eternity. I've missed hell and gained heaven because of Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. I've went from darkness to light because of Jesus. I went from deadness to eternal life because of Jesus. And if He never does one more thing, we all have a reason to praise Him. Let me tell you something else. Be careful about being envious, jealous of someone else's blessing. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, be content with such things as you have. Folks, realize your blessing. Count your blessings. That's the greatest get-rich-quick scheme that I've ever heard of. When you start counting your blessings, you're going to see just how truly blessed, just how truly rich you really are. You look around, you'll be stressed. You look in too much, you'll be depressed. Let me tell you what you better do. Look up. Fix your eyes upon the Lord. Look up unto the hills from whence comes your help. And when you look up, you'll be blessed. Amen? Keep praising Him. Keep thanking Him. Be content with where God's got you now until He moves you to a new level.
and blesses you from glory to glory. Amen.